0: Aloha Pods presents Moment to Moment, a series of intimate conversations with influential artists, revealing the formative moments that have helped shape the artists they have become today. From Oscar-winning writers and directors to Grammy-winning performers and songwriters, listen in as each guest shares their most personal struggles, their greatest victories, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Moment to Moment is about the defining moments that have helped turn what was once a dream into a reality. Listen and subscribe now at alohapods.com. The struggles we witnessed today continue, and Lee continues to be our standing tall, fighting for the unheard and the foregone. I will only add to Andy Davis's words that. She is a two-time Academy Award winner, a master craftsperson, and most importantly, one of the keepers of the flame of a sacred tradition of working. On a personal note, I've waited 15 years to be able to speak with today's guest. Moment to moment is honored to have with us distinguished member of the Actor's Studio. Thank you for joining us oh, today. Wow, wow. <laughs> i going send you those words, first of all, from Andy beautiful picture of you working with your director of photography, I believe, on your first film together, which we'll get to. Um, oh, my God, I would, uh, I've never seen that, oh, that, that photo. It's, it's coming to you. Davis, of course, it was a genius, you know. Absolutely. a genius cinematographer and director, so the words go right that to Oh, that's wonderful. He's going to be so pleased to hear that, the title of our show is moment to moment I have a sense that phrase and that expression means something to you yeah, sure. <laughs> It's a mentor for me, James Lipton, and Jim's production company, as you may know, it's called In the Moment Productions, and so this is... Oh, I, I had forgotten. Yeah, in fact, I'll, I'll dive right in. I'd like to begin with a moment that feels like a moment of inspiration for you. Employer, or if you know what I'm saying, yes. you don't expect it, that's so complete and so sound that you say oh, and treasure it, you know That's beautiful what you're saying because I came across some footage off of a salvage documentary we're trying to resuscitate about the life of Kim Stanley and there's footage of you, Lee and I'd like to repeat some of the words you've said previous if I may, you had said that reality. the studio when he was uh, visiting a no. session? Okay. No. no. Okay. I, I, ref, I refer to that moment because I can vividly recall how I experienced your description of that, but on a personal note, uh, I recall in full transparency, I was sitting in a session in October of 2004 at the actors Studio, and you were moderating, and uh, you probably won't remember this moment, but it changed my life forever. In the morning And what came up for me was It was the first time a scene had ever been interrupted That I had seen I would just gotten to New York at the, I was on scholarship at the Actor's Studio Drama School at the moment but So I had a chance to sit in on sessions Here's what happened They went up and it was glib and detached Whatever it was <laughs> You sort of popped out of your chair And you said okay that's enough of that And you, as you turned to face the audience You said that was something more suited for the London School of Indication Rather than the Actor's Studio and the beginning drop you looked at, and here's where I want to get to, it was about one girl was saying she just had an abortion and was glibly drinking scotch in the morning. And she was talking about what she'd worked on. And something, you heard something, you saw something. And you went immediately right after her and you said, have you ever experienced this before? And she says, well, you know, I can understand. He said, no, no. Have you ever experienced this before? And she gave it to He said, honey, have you had an abortion before? she not froze and she said yes I have and she said what did you feel in that moment and she said broke down. all I wanted was my mommy she said start and then you walked away and said start this into me right now This was a kind of fever that was currently 6,000 miles away from Hawaii to come to New York, and now I was experiencing. It wasn't Jim on the show. It wasn't ideas of what was in the town walls of West 44th Street. This was it. And what I'll never forget was, I, remember, I wrote my notes. I said, Lee is a sorceress. My question is, what is it you are able to see when working with actors that they don't see in themselves that helps you reach that moment-to-moment reality? truth. around, it just made a totally new person out of me, and, and I was able to kind of have that enter my brain and enter my system, and so the students who came to me were very close to me and very close to my age, right? and so I was that moment with Kim Stanley on stage. She wasn't coming with a preconception. You're saying she was discovering it. She was discovering. She was discovering something fresh and not done before. Right, and this speaks to the power of the theater to call your teacher Sandy Meisner. It's something that I read a long time ago. Sandy once said, life beats down and crushes our souls. The theater reminds reminds us that we have the type of theater that I'm interested in that is theater that moves an audience because you have an opportunity to impact the lives of people if the material has integrity does that resonate with you on some level Yeah. And, and, and it was a revelation. It was a book open of a door that I had no idea what was inside me. Mm. And, and as a teacher, as a Stanislavski student himself, that's what he was able to do. And that's the gift that I was hoping to be able to give to others in the actor's studio. Yes, and you've done that as well as well as on your directing career, with many who come across, is that emotional truth continues to resonate. Let's talk about it for a moment, what I find to be two of the most misinterpreted and least understood words in acting today, and that is the method. And of course, it was never the method, it was always one method. What does that term or expression mean to you today? Because when I went to the neighborhood playhouse, I studied with. I'm a character actress mm-hmm. You know I find sides in myself That are close to the character It's am not a leading lady I'm not I'm not Especially in film mm-hmm. You know and don't want to be You find there's a lot more Interesting Creatively satisfying Experiences to explore As a supporting Or a character actress Rather than The lead you would say yeah. what I yearned for. I just wanted to play every part at whatever age I was. And so I was very careful not to fall into the trap of being the loved one. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I remember you would say, audiences will fall in love for you for about seven years and then move on. It's like a love affair, the way we treat rock stars, but you- That are uh, smaller parts, older parts. I mean, detective story. The shoplifter initially had to be almost twice your age, I believe, before you put it on, bottom, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's yeah, a I, I wanted, I wanted to play. Oh, the, the detective story was a perfect example. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was sent up there, and I was like 22 then to play the old oldies. who was the playwright and, and director, said it to me, what was wrong? And I said, I just, you know, it's not me to say those words, but about the old lady, the shoplifter. your film debut the reprisal of your role on broadway of 581 performances you were nominated for an academy award for that choice on screen what did that feel like to to come shooting out of a cannon Because by that time, I was blacklisted anyway. So, you know, I was on high. you giving out, uh, you know, people that were in the film business, which I still don't understand why not enough is made of Ronald Reagan's look in that dark black eye in American history here. But that's for another day's conversation. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, when did you first become aware? of the That's um, so, um, uh, right? yeah, I have a lot of trouble saying names because of the J- J- Right back to James. I he told me once, and he said, if when you with Lee, if she doesn't remember your name, it's not personal. That you intentionally, and this is important for our audience to understand. Somebody on accident could say a name in the wrong situation, and a career would be ended. So it was almost like you created a, a, a muscle memory to cut those off, as I understand it, to say that a name. Absolutely. I, I you know, I have a friend who comes with me whenever I go out because, you know, I see somebody I know perfectly well, and I can't introduce them to so them. <laughs> Sure, I for sure. like a, like a, sure, like, like a blank on the name. Well, given you know, what you've been through, that's, that totally would be par for the course at the very least. What would you say then that, yeah. that the Actors Studio, Lee, what has that meant for you creatively, spiritually, in your life? Uh, well, it was a home. It, it was a real home mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was a place I could go to. Somebody trying for the most perfect, beautiful music in the world. And then the teacher stops them and says, well, you know, if you just string your bow along a little different way, and then it's, you know, something even more remarkable. Sometimes in, in a totally opposite way, and it works both ways, you know. A great experimental place, right. uh, where you're safe, you're safe to try anything. And because of that, notable people at the peak white hotness of their careers could come in and fail without worrying about. They could do things here that they couldn't do outside for fear of commercial repercussions, and that felt like a very special place. Well, that's exactly it. Only, you know, in the studio you didn't fail. Because trying something is a sense of moving ahead. Yeah. You know, so so you can't fail. You're just trying something new. I remember on another session, It uh, was a, a gentleman doing a monologue, and Sean then sort of walked in a few minutes as things started. And the guy had done his best, and you helped working with him, and he kind of felt that. And at the end, I remember Sean walked up to him and said, you know, the failure would have been if you didn't get up here, you went up there, you put your guts out, we gave you some adjustments, go work on those adjustments, and let's see that monologue again in a couple of weeks. I felt like that was the spirit where it wasn't about the result, it was again, back to King Stanley on stage, what well, you're reaching for, whether or not you achieve the reach, it's the process that grows the instrument, am, am I describing that correctly? Absolutely. Come on. An mm-hmm. And so I, my mother found a, a doctor who would give me a facelift. Well, I needed to play a 26-year-old stenographer. And I didn't look like 26, I looked like 40, 44. Mm-hmm. The went the long way this conversation and hoping to speak with someone like you about the art that continually drives you that i experienced a fragment of help me make a decision to live a life of service in that type of art whatever this moses in the wilderness experience it has been for me i just treasure and and honor what you're sharing with me to remind me that look we're all gonna die, not because of but just eventually I'm present to my mortality. I'm now four days, and what do I want? My tombstone. So I, I, I'm doing this show that for 70 years, seven years I've been thinking about. It. It's not a show. It's where I meet with important people like you about what were the moments that have helped make you, and help you make art to give others light, guidance, and as you say to open some doors, and it's actually, I want to ask you about something, because when Ed Asner was with us a couple of days ago, we talked about the unusual kismet between a certain type of theater and socio-political sensitivities that affected the group theater, the Compass Players in Chicago, as well as work at the Actress Studio. Lee, what is it about a certain type of theater that was perceived to be so subversive? You mean the group theater? I guess, from, there was a lot of redness and, you know, waiting for lift. Oh, yes, well, don't forget the method, the way of approaching that I do, that you studied, uh, comes from Stanislavski, St. who o- o- was a Russian. Mm-hmm. And it was. you You're against him, You're jailed, and and, and if you're in jail and speak out, you're killed. Mm-hmm. They give twenty years of their lives. Some of them fought in the Spanish kind of Civil War. Right, right. You know because they believe in a better world, and to have that dream taken out from under your feet and your hero. showed up with a utopian-e, better world for you and me, but it turned, exactly. turned out I a mean, Exactly. Exactly. It's so tragic to you know. uh, tragic. Well, here's what, Unfortunately, I was just young enough to survive it, and they weren't. Well, I to get to that, because just to, to take our audience through, and Lee just wonderfully did it to walk us through a hundred years of history of the theater. And this all started from the Stanislavski in the Moscow our company, the one Mar- that came to New York and people like Chekhov, Maria Luspenskaya, Eugene Vakhtangov, Richard Buloslavsky, some of them stayed in New York and ended up sharing with the lines of what would become the group theater, which, as we mentioned earlier, led to the formation in 1947 of the Actors Studio by... Bobby Lewis and Ilya Kazan and Cheryl Crawford, and this was a way of working. As Ron Steiger once said, you're a co-star from In the Heat of the Night. Before, this way of working, acting was, what would my character do? And then after it was, what would I do? And the illustration being exactly right there with you in that session with Scotch in the Morning, the first time the girl had this concept in her head of, oh, what would this character do if she just had an abortion? Versus, what did I do? What did I feel when I had to have that happen? And there was an immediacy that forever changed the theater as we know it today. Would you say that's an encapsulation? I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think you're really encapsulated. Yes. Thank you. I want to touch on you. I think, and I think you're very cute. You're very cute. I mean, I'm uh, Let's talk about something not as cute. We can skip this question, but I'm, I want to know. Elia Kazan was the great, one of the greatest directors in cinematic and theater history. Obviously at the time he named names. It's much has been made about that. What was your take on his naming of the names given the closeness and affinity he had at the studio probably to being around him at the time? Well, I affected him mm-hmm. because he was on the other side. Yeah. And I was on the side with the writers and the actors you know, and I worked very hard, by the way. Uh, to change the situation in an afterlife or someone like me, who was not a communist, but who was married to a communist. my life was busy yeah in fact that. i want to get back the way he treated are not helping, to help it all right as the blacklist then hate you at that moment obviously you were named and you shared in many interviews what happened there and I don't want to rehash that I'm interested in this they were really after you were they with the blacklist they were after someone. You know, and and I said to one of the representatives, I could name him, but I wouldn't be working again. I'd be in some sanatorium. (laughs) Because, yeah, I'd have to be put away because because of the idea of living with myself because I, Somebody from the left would talk to him. Ouch. That kind of talent, that kind of, brilliance of screwing somebody to the wall like that. We'll talk about that. I think about Leo and Sean Penn's father two times was shot out of planes serving our country, a hero, veteran, came back and then he was blacklisted and couldn't work for similar reasons. And you just think about all the talent that got set aside for the most stupid reasons. That people don't realize General MacArthur went on right-wing I remember I love you talking about being married uh, you said I was married to a fascist and a communist, and neither would take the garbage out <laughs> I thought that was great. Again, to process processing your emotional truth and then we'll talk a few career highlights and even so generous, eye, I'll treasure this conversation. Lee, how would you describe your acting process? Well, the objective, mm-hmm. the character's objective, you know, that's something Fanny taught me early. Yeah. What do I want? If I'm in this play, I want to meet someone and get married. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the objective of Me who who would be attracted to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the objectives I had in one of the plays that I did. And in another play, Mm -hmm. the detective story, you know, the objective was not to go to jail, to get home safe, to hide the truth of my family. Right. Saying at the studio, you know, Carlin was great, Ellen Burstyn, wonderful, Al Pacino phenomenal, Harvey was very incisive I found you to always be the most demystifying and simple and I remember writing something something down here as follows, you said, I learned from Sandy, I think you're not working on emotions you're working on objectives and actions, just like you described it but here was the catch, you then said emotion comes out of it in life, you're working on what you want, every minute of every day it theatrical and interesting. That's, it. That's sort of what you described, but it's not how badly part where I think an actor can personalize and stay away from a preconception. Did you find that it came, in making it simple came to you early from studying with stage? That's the conflict in a play. Two people want yeah. different things, right? Yeah. I find something else fascinating. Once you believe it, and once you believe it, you're safe. So that, that, this is at the longest distance for an actor. Is that, you know, 16 inches between one's head and one's heart, cerebrally, people frequently when you're working, I want to believe this, but what's the trick to turning, as Philip Hoffman used to say, the key of your will <laughs> to actually accept? and that you want that mm. <laughs> What did you learn about creating an emotional life from Lee Strasberg in the time with him? I didn't. Oh, you didn't? I didn't, I didn't. learn anything from Lee. As a matter of fact, the whole atmosphere of worship. Oh, yeah, the toxic. Yeah, yeah. You know, the atmosphere of actors like, oh, crawling on their heads. <laughs> who was a great friend of mine and she was in the very first thing that I directed at the American Film Institute and she was just a a genius little actress and Ellen was sitting there and Mrs. Strasburg Mm -hmm. uh, was sitting there and and, uh, Mrs. Strasberg was figuring she was his wife, she would be taking over the studio. All <laughs> <laughs> these little, little girls were running up to Ellen and Mrs. Strasberg and saying, oh, I love him so much. Oh, he really, was everything to me. I don't know how I can act good. I am. And Susan Strasberg was sitting next to interested in is your use of a character's secrets. And I remember you once said if you, you if you give too much of your secrets, your private emotional stuff, you dissipate it. It leaks sort of the compression of what that stuff can do. Yeah. How do you balance yeah. it getting that going versus dissipating Hating it out? And I remember in the heat of the night, you said you cried so much in the bathroom. You didn't have much to You were sort of empty when you came on. What did you learn from that experience and how to sort of temper that balance? Um. the obstacle in the moment they gave you something to play that choice exactly wow exactly that's probably would it be fair to say there may have been a, an analogous emotional correlation between your life me grant personally and your character's life from in the heat of the night some of that rage you are oh, of course about. sure yeah absolutely sure you mentioned it was a rage you didn't even know you were sitting on it i think that that's what an actor maybe dreams of us to have that stuff be so close to the bone where it's not acting anymore. It's Lee speaking through this character. But it, is, it, it It isn't. It isn't acting. All of the stuff we have inside of it is available. And it's such a So it makes it uh, eternal or timeless inside. I think that that keeps one probably satiated to this way of working. And it's never-ending. Mm-hmm. The bottomless pit of oneself, it seems. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just to touch on comedy. There's more there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. When does the our self end? Where's the edge? It's a forever. <laughs> I want to talk about comedy for a moment. Prisoner of Second Avenue, yourself and Peter Falk. Director Mike Nichols gave you a clue in on the character. I never forgot this. Do you remember what do you recall what he said about how to approach the dynamic between you and Pete? Yeah. the adjustment as a director. Yeah, but uh, I understood him completely. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he could not have put it more brilliantly. And, and I knew that that was my, my clue to the, to the way I had to approach the part. There's no question about it. That's wonderful. What is it Mike Nichols understood about the human condition that others simply didn't years, I never felt that I ever understood him. An enigma. I felt that it he was always a mystery. I was attracted to him. I, I, I wanted him to approve of me, um, uh, uh, but I felt there was always something beyond me that uh, I never knew and never could know. As an actress, when you're in that kind of preparation of working with a director that works the way you do, what is it you want from a director as you're building your role? Well, the kind of directions that Mike gave me were perfect for a Neil Simon play. You know, it was a Neil Simon play, which is always a tragicomic thing. Mm -hmm. And the laughs keep coming out of tragedy. The worse that life becomes within the play, within your character. Um, the funnier it is to your audience. <laughs> you know, so that y- you, you have got to block out any sense of your being funny witty or anything. That's the trap. You've got to keep diving further and further into the tragedy. Mm. Because that's what makes them laugh. And that's the way it was written. That was his genius. You said the more I cried. Makes sense, and the trap is to go for the funny or to go for the, that's the, going the other way. It's the opposite. When you're working in film, what is it you don't want from a director? What do you not want? Whether it's on set or in preparation. I've never had a problem with a director. They've always left me alone. Oh, Hal Ashby and Norman Norman Jewison. i i see it in their eyes. It was a kind of a wonder. You know, um, they, they cast me in something they knew I could bring them. That's the way they cast all the time. Bring me this fresh thing that I haven't seen before. Right. Bring it to me. Right. and And so it is. band. without the British accents they were putting on as a young girl. <laughs> I found that funny. Um, of course, for your work in The Landlord, they ultimately selected you, and you were nominated for, I believe, your second Academy Award. What was the Oscar experience like, ultimately, when you were awarded Best Supporting Actress for your role in Shampoo? Uh, I I, felt, uh, I think that was my fifth nomination, or, or maybe a Hollow am paying the up a where you go? I've bananas yep. and the parts in yeah. you know, or lower myself. I've, I've been getting great, great roles. And, and, and one of them I loved and explored and, and, and felt so lucky, especially after not working you know, for so long. And I knew that in Hollywood at my age that I'd be finished. You had an awareness keenly in that moment. It, you know, I think that can serve an actress being present on that base, so that there's nothing being taken for granted, and one is always constantly working to evolve the work and to stay hungry and fresh. I imagine that has something to do with it. Um, back to the Actors Studio, how do you feel about the current state of affairs, or whatever the direction of the studio now? Has it changed? Is it? I have no idea. You know, I haven't been there in years. Yeah. James Lipton passing away last year. How would you like him to be remembered for the work? Well, he saved the studio. He saved it. That uh, the studio was just going broke with his program uh, about the studio. He lifted it out of debt into you know glorious prominence again. Yeah. And he did it all by himself. He certainly did, and he spoke to the hearts and minds of countless millions over the years, including a young Brad Cooper, who ended up famously at the graduate of the school and then returned as a guest in 2011, Um, and that work carries on, in much part, to to his credit for for the work that he did. Um, Final couple questions, Lee, who you see are the actors today that are carrying that torch that are also followers of the way, keepers of the flame, you might say, whose work still inspires you? Well, I, I... You know, I can't I can't say you know as I you know see people work and you know we've been through the COVID-19 you know. so I haven't been to the theater I haven't been to the movies you know I've watched everything more was the closest I can recall to just James cattle of course these are tragic figures of past but I can't recall in the last eight or ten years work that stops me in my tracks or makes me feel alive or an emotional truth is being conveyed. Do you lament the state of acting as it is today given this no no no. I, I don't lament the state of acting at all I, see. I think it's what you know act in. you know I think it's the vehicle that uh-huh. you know. I think it's always the vehicle uh, and the challenge you know, an actor has to be challenged to, to, to step into a, a that I ever saw was Ruth Gordon in, uh, in the second movie that had last made. It was the most bizarre movie ever made. Harold oh, and Lola. Harold and Lola. Oh, right. Of course. Right. I mean, Harold and Lola. That <laughs> was obscure. looking forward to coming out of COVID creatively what turns you on, inspires you, keeps the wheels turning. The world is in a very dangerous place. Mm. And and it's not just COVID. The right. proletariat who has have, have a. a Uh, the symbol is an old clinging symbol of that sound. I can imagine that's uh, something we need to be conscious of, uh, specifically the artists who are usually the ones on the forefront of letting people know what the sort of what's in the water and what's coming. Um, I'd like to call him the doctor. <laughs> in closing today, I'll finish with the words of George Bernard Shaw. He once wrote, "I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community." And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch, which I've got a hold of for the moment. And I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. You have carried the torch, Lee, for your generations, your work, and in this conversation. I'll never forget this conversation. I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you for being with us today on Moment to Moment. Truly. I want you, I want you to be happy Thank you, it's been a journey back that And this conversation is a big boost in that direction